New Photic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. this episode is Luke Condor. He is the director, writer and uh, lead actor and editor of the feature film Keith uh, about an app that he befriends but that it starts to take over his uh, his life, uh, the character Luke, um, named after Luke, the guy who made the film. Um, he made it in a month, mostly by himself, without a script, super impressive. Lots of stuff to talk about. Um, I similarly made a feature film that takes place on a computer screen with like six or seven uh, other people as well. Um, so it was interesting that we had like a similar impulse to make something like that, and uh, it was great for us to learn from each other. And uh, maybe you'll learn from it too if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, if you are a reader, writer, editor, some sort of creative who wants to be on the show, or if you want to tell me something about the show, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Um, but that's all my intro chat, so here is my conversation with Luke Condor. Yeah, where are you from? Because you're not from Norway, are you, I imagine? Or... No, 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 I'm from uh, Glasgow in Scotland, but I moved here okay. almost seven years ago. I've been working as an engineer here in Stavanger. Okay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, for like a number of years, I was just like, oh my God, there's nothing going on here. I can't make any friends. And then I realized like, I could make something happen here if I want. <laughs> so yeah. I started the yeah. film club last year. Um, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think I am, I mean, most of my life, I wanted to live in London. I'm from Mansfield, it's like a mining town in the middle of England. And I wanted to live in London. And then we did live in London for a couple of years. And it was, I I felt like I was going to start making contacts and I was going to start, you know, getting into 
filmmaking or I don't know, some sort of inner circle of, of making stuff. Mm. But it didn't really happen. Um, and it, I just found it really distracting, like just worrying about rent all the time or worrying about uh, trying to exist. So then we moved to Manchester and then back here. I live in like Sherwood Forest now. And I find now I've got my, my garage, I've got space, and I can just like make a film in a month or I can write a book or do some podcasting. I think you don't need to be around, be in those sort of places where you think, where you think things should be, where things should happen, but it's mm. not the case anymore. We live on the internet. Like the world is completely flat now. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a very good point. And um, it's nice to be in a place that needs you as well. Like I imagine there's like, where there is less creative stuff going on, if you're a creative person, then great. Yeah. A lot of people could benefit from that rather than going like, I want to go to the already existing creative hub and make sure they accept me to legitimize the fact that I'm doing all of this yeah. stuff. Oh. Yeah. I think it got to the point for me when I was like, I was living in London purely to say that I was living in London. And I was like, this is a terrible reason to live anywhere. Just to say that you live there. I'm not happy. Mm. <laughs> I'd rather go back and because you, we, we couldn't have a dog or anything. Now that we live here, I've, I've got a, like a lovely dog and I go for long walks in the woods. And I don't know, this is ideal for me. I think, I think just, I haven't started a filmmaking community like you. I don't know if my neighbours will be up for it, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe one day. You never know. Like I say, I have like, I like googled a few YouTube videos more than anyone else who showed up, and I just took it from there. So you never know. You might have some budding filmmakers <laughs> living Maybe. right beside you. Yeah. Yeah. What's the uh, population like in Stavanger? Oh, good question. I don't know. Let me Google it. <laughs> I, is it don't a, know. I don't know much about it. Is it a city or is it a, a town or? It's a city. Um, okay. It's like the oil capital, which is why I'm here. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. 130,000. Okay. Oh, it's tiny. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize because there's Trondheim and Bergen. I always assumed they were smaller, but they're like way bigger. Interesting. How big is also? Don't even need you anymore. Just to do my own research. <laughs> Seven hundred thousand in Oslo. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Stavanger is much. Stavanger is tiny. Teeny tiny. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I think there's about a thousand people here at the most in the village where I live. But, okay. but I mean, we're all alone now. We're all in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Is it? That's like small enough for everyone to know one another, right? Uh. Yeah. I mean, on our street, I'm pretty sure everyone knows me as the weird guy who goes in his garage for hours and hours fun hours at a time. One of the guys across the street asked if I was hibernating and I kind of squirreled away to the garage without answering him. <laughs> yes, it is, it is it's very local, like, little place. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Norway sounds good. I always wanted to go to Norway or any of the sort of more Scandinavian sort of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I like it here. I mean, like the the uh, I went to a party recently where um, several of the people had lived here before, and then they they got homesick and went back to their home countries and started working there as adults, and then were like, now like the quality of life for working work life balance and so on. Um, yeah. it's a great place to raise kids, apparently. Um, yeah, so people really love it here for that. It's pretty chill. Yeah. Um, and is yeah. everyone working from home? Like, has the lockdown affected? 
I'm supposed to be back in the office. Like, or I, I'm allowed to go back to the office. But every yeah. time I'm in one of these, you know, our equivalent of Zoom call, half the people are still in, at home. And it's yeah. like, it's so much more convenient for me just to stay here. So this is where I am. But the, the problem with Stavanger is that um, still, you know, it was this fishing village before they discovered oil. And it still has like a fishing village mentality. It's okay. like, yeah, very insular. And you only find out what's going on through word of mouth, which is all spoken in a weird Norwegian dialect that I don't speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when it comes to my club, like almost everyone who shows up, they're all expats from different countries, which yeah, is fantastic. I noticed yeah. that in your film. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fairly certain that they weren't all from Stavanger. Like you had like an English guy, South African guy. Uh, French guy. French, yeah. uh, Indian woman. Norwegian woman, the guy who says he's uh, who's half Dutch because he is. He's from England. Um, yeah, and the guy at the beginning who's from Mexico originally. Yeah, they're all from their uh, original yeah. countries. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're all just filming in Savanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Though. It's cool that you got that together and made a feature film. How long have you been making films for? Uh, it was like this time last year that I took my iPhone and recorded yeah. myself um, so like a year but I've been writing for like 10 years though yeah so when it came to the film that I made and probably the film that you made as well um, the writing is the challenge because it's so constricted in terms of where you can be all the narrative yeah. has to take place with everyone sitting in the same place but then I felt like I had the writing skills to overcome that whereas the yeah. filmmaking skills were just like it's much simpler to put together yeah well, wow, that's amazing that you made a, a you've been making films for a year and you made a feature film. That's because a lot a lot of the the sort of the standard thinking is to make tons of short films. Well, I think that the standard thinking is you make a short film and eventually you can use one of those short films to, uh, like piggyback or something else, or to make a feature film from that or, or something. But yeah, that's me. I've been making films about I don't know. Um, because I was making like YouTube sketches and stuff like ten years ago. So I've been, always been doing video stuff, but then I always sort of felt like feature film was just—it's just unreasonable to make a feature film like without money. It's unreasonable. No one can make that much content. But then when you, when you probably found a similar thing is when you do it, it's like oh, it's just a longer short film. <laughs> like <laughs> it just takes longer to do. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh... no. I, well, the thing is like. You're right that most, see, basically, like, most creative people would take, like, I've been writing, like I say, for 10 years. Yeah. So it's 10 years of creative build-up before I've actually made a feature film. It's just that I've never yeah. actually done this before. But I feel like other people take longer to make a feature film because they have decided that they're filmmakers and then they have to learn about writing alongside. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like that part takes the longest. What do you think? Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I, I don't know what, I mean, this past decade has been pretty blurry now. Uh, but I remember because I was trying to make short films and I found that everyone else's short films were looking better and better and better. And it's only because they had more money and they could afford like really good cameras and mm. editing equipment and stuff. So then I started um, just writing short stories and figured that like it's just going to come down to the way I tell stories. I'm just going to have to find my own unique voice and focus on writing. Because I, I did sort of write novels and screenplays and stuff for a long time um and i think that is the hardest part for 
I don't know why filmmakers don't write more. I thought everyone should write. Everyone should be testing out short stories just to find what it is that they like about, just to find their personal flavor of storytelling. Um, and everyone can do it. Everyone's got access to a piece of paper or like a Word, Microsoft Word or something. Mm. But a lot of filmmakers, I don't know, I feel like they... We were doing some brainstorm, some film ideas recently. Um, a lot of the other filmmakers that I was talking to in this in this uh, Discord channel weren't were filmmakers first and hadn't really written anything. And a lot of the ideas they were coming out with just felt very. Have you have you read Stephen King's Lisi story? In Lisi's story, Stephen King talks about Booyah Moon, which is like a place where creative people, when they go to sleep, they go to this magical land and there's a big lake in Booyah Moon. And then initially you go quite shallow and you pick up like these fish that are quite easy to catch. And these fish are the ideas for stories. But as you sort of get more confident in your storytelling, you want to go deeper and deeper and try and get the big fish. And mm. I feel like that's, that comes with time. Like you, you get a lot of your sort of, you get, you catch a lot of your smaller fish earlier on in your writing or storytelling life. And then eventually you sort of want to, you're not bothered about catching all of the easy stuff. You sort of want to go and find a really unique, large, giant whales that only you can only you can write or only you can make mm. uh, so i'm not interested anymore in writing or making films that anyone else could make i'm just very focused on i think everyone should be very focused on their unique perspective their unique voice i think it's important and um yeah i think like writing like you 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 see been writing for 10 years that's i feel that's that's putting more work towards getting the developing that voice than someone who's been making music videos for 10 years. Although maybe, I don't know. That's just the way I kind of think about it, but maybe maybe I'm talking bullshit, I don't know. No, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And and I was going to say that I would recommend the way I've done it, but everyone does it differently. And it yeah, just, yeah. It really depends. But definitely when it comes to filmmaking, I do think, I mean, I don't advise people anything when it comes to writing, but when it comes to filmmaking, like you say, write more first, because I was watching this interview with a guy who said like, he'd been given 50 grand to make his first feature film. Mm -hmm. And like when he wrote it and like directed it, blah, blah, blah. When it came to the editing, he realized like the first half hour wasn't needed because he was learning about story structure and yeah. the, the story start for the first half an hour. I was like, okay, if, say that was like a two hour film cut down to 90 minutes. Is that not like 10 grand wasted or more? Yeah. It's ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the filmmaking, filmmaking is such an expensive, well, traditionally it's a really expensive medium i think we're trying to find ways around that yeah but um yeah it's crazy um did, did they work from screenplays you know or, or did the director write the screenplay as well or yeah yeah i think it was yeah yeah who knows as well i mean with filmmaking as well john carpenter said it's like painting like you put something on the on the canvas and then you like start with an outline and then some bit doesn't quite work you've put it in your head but it doesn't know you've got it on and mm. so you start highlighting bits or erasing bits or like painting over certain bits until it starts to look like something that you're really happy with or uh, is the finished film so mm -hmm. filmmaking is weird because i do kind of feel like sometimes you think something's going to work and you put it on the on the timeline and it doesn't quite something about it doesn't feel feel right mm. um so you just have to keep working over it find different music find different cuts or or effects or what, whatever just to make it work for you mm. i mean how, how did you i'd be very interested to know that your technical process like how did you um edit the film and how did you because yeah quite a unique way of working i think uh i use davinci resolve oh of course yeah it's free now yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Though I ended up buying the paid version so that I could denoise the images because that made it look way better. Um, yeah. But yeah, so what did I do? I used uh, I just got this microphone. This is the Yeti stereo. Yeti. I got the same one. Yeah, not hey. here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So use that. Um, it was like a Discord call with each of the people. I like maximized them on my screen and then I recorded it with OBS. Yeah. And I recorded okay. like individual feeds of me saying every other line, and them just saying their bits. Yeah. I didn't think about OBS, but I bet loads of people are using that for making screen capturing now. Yeah. I was probably like, yeah, people making loads of money on Twitch, they, they must use that, whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, so recorded it individually with everyone, um, and then cut it all together as if they were talking to one another. And I love that, um, I mean, I didn't know that was going to work until I put it together. And actually, I didn't even know how to do that in DaVinci until I realized you just kind of, you get six video channels and you just squish and put this one there and that one there. <laughs> so on yeah, and yeah. it works. You know, <laughs> like, I think what you're getting is uh, as well is that it's purely intuitive. I don't know where it yeah. comes from. And, and I'm writing a new thing now. And only today I worked out what one of the character's motivations were. Yeah. And then like the whole thing clicked for me. I don't know why I knew that it would click after I figured that. I, I don't know where any of it's coming from, you know? Um, Robert Rodriguez, um, he he's a... a... Oh, he's a big time filmmaker now, but he started as like an indie filmmaker. He said, like, uh, when you go to any sort of creative endeavor, like they say, knowing is half the battle, but he thinks the other half is more important, like not knowing and like having faith that you'll start this thing and mm -hmm. it will come to you. It, you will find that other half as you're making it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good way to just, I, I, it, you just have to get started with these things, don't you? You can't, even when you're writing a novel, I mean, some people maybe want to plan stuff out. I think I've seen people plan the paragraphs out, so they sort of have a line per paragraph with what they're going to write. And I kind of feel like you just got to write. <laughs> you just got to start writing at some point, and you'll mm. you'll find it out. You'll find out what you, what you, what you, what the end product is as you as you're doing it. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say to anyone, like filmmaking is way less scary than I thought it was going to be because I think that what we um. The most like the the stories you know about them traditionally are the most sensational ones about like directors yelling at people on set and running out of money and you know missing the perfect shot and so on. Yeah. Um, Whereas really like Robert Rodriguez is a great example because I watched a little making off thing on the mariachi. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, you just, he's like, just get all the bits. It will be fine. You'll find you can work with whatever you you end up yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. You can creatively edit around most most things yeah um, absolutely his book rebel without a crew is one that i'd recommend to anyone making stuff it's it is fantastic I've, it's it's one of the only books i've bought as a gift for other people because i want other people to read it as well um it's just like a diary of him a diary he kept it's like 50 percent of it is a diary he kept whilst making his seven grand um feature film that mm -hmm. sort of made him who he is uh the other half is like uh I don't know, like ten-minute film scores and stuff. But for that first half in particular, it's it's so inspirational, and so I don't know. It just really grounds it. It's, there's nothing that special about it. It is just hard work. It is just work. So you just either do it or don't. Um, mm. Same with writing. You're either going to write or you're not going to write. It's you just have to do it. And when it comes to the seven grand, that's like film stock mostly. Yeah, you yeah. don't even need to buy anymore. 
exactly. Yeah, we're we're in a we're in a it's a double edged sword because we're in a lucky time. Like we can use our phones or our computer screens or our webcams as cameras, but like so can everyone. So there's so yeah. much content out there now. Yeah. Um, which just means you just need to be more more unique, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. No, like you say, I mean, I think that the biggest fault of most things is like unoriginal or bad ideas. It's not who has the best camera. Yeah. It's just people have thought it out the least. Yeah, easy ideas. I think if, if something's too easy, I think we've not spent enough time working out an, a unique way of doing this. Um, mm. Which, I mean, there was a time four or five years ago where I was I was coming up with an idea, like a story idea a day, and I did it for a year, and I kept like a Google Doc, and I was just pounding out these like, story ideas. Um, and in a way, you could have turned any of those ideas, not not all of them were good, but you could turn any of those ideas into a novel or a screenplay or something. But it's like three or four out of those 365 ideas that have stuck with me to the point where those are genuinely good ideas, like, or good to me. Those are generally ideas that I would still want to do something with eventually. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could do anything with any idea, but you think you've got to find the ones that really resonate with some, I don't know, some part of your soul. Like, you have to, that is, that idea is you, and you have to do something with that idea at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Keith must have been one of the biggest ideas then. So Keith, um, it's like five years ago, um, as make as trying to get funding for a short film through like the BFI, England has all, all these funding schemes, <clears throat> but I could like two years of trying to get funding, uh, never got around, never got past the first round. I um was I don't know, not the right, not from the right area, not from the right, I don't know. I just for whatever reason I was wasn't. Oh, I didn't have the right story. In fact, I'm pretty sure some of those earlier thing projects that I was trying to get funding for were not good so it's probably a good thing that they didn't give me money um but I got really annoyed um and I was living in London at the time in my flat um and I was like okay you're not gonna give me any money I'm, I don't I don't need any money I'm gonna make a film in a week with no camera no money no nothing and I made a short film called Keith um which kind of went I say semi-viral it got a Vimeo staff pick and it was on Gizmodo and stuff, and it got like fifty thousand downloads. Um, and that for me at the time wow. that, was, that was big. Yeah, that's still huge. Yeah. Um, so it did really well. It, like it played at film festivals. It won the best low budget short film at the London Short Film Festival. Um, and it got me a few meetings. And I was like, at that point, I was like, I've proved that I can do this with nothing. Now, now give me money um, to make this into a feature or to do something bigger with this. And had a few meetings with people, but again, they were like, well, you've got no track record of making feature films. So I was like, oh, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't make it out of nothing. Uh, so then it just kind of dried up. Um, I was kind of annoyed for a bit, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to write books. I'm, I'm not going to bother with film. Obviously, the film industry doesn't want me, so I'm just going to write books and make mm-hmm. comics and podcasts and, and stuff like that. Um, and then I even tried to make it as a feature film. I wrote a script, this is two years ago. I wrote a script, had actors in place, but it was so big. And neat, it would be like, a, to do it justice, we need like a hundred grand or something to make it all work properly. Um, and obviously I didn't have that money. Uh, so it never happened. And I just kind of gave up on it. But then 
a month or so ago. I had a Skype call with a friend. And he said, whatever happened to Keith? And I was like, it's, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's dead. It's completely dead. But just that conversation kind of had me opening up Premiere. And I just started to put things down and brainstorm ideas. And I was like, well, okay, let me just do a scene at a time. Let me not make a big a big production with loads of actors. Let me. What can I do today to make a scene? And I did that scene. And then I started to brainstorm some more did the second scene and I was like, I'm just going to keep going just to see where, where this goes. And then a month later I had a 67 minute feature film, um, which I mean, it, I mean, it's not a fantastic, it's not like an amazing film, but I'm pretty happy with a no, the me of five years ago would not believe that I was able to do that. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, so that's, that's sort of where Keith is now. At the minute I'm doing some posts, looking at film festivals, wondering what's next. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? What about um, uh, your film? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping a friend is going to send me a bit more music for it and then yeah. I'll investigate film festivals, but it's such a shame because I, I'm lo- like on film freeway, I think is the best resource for finding them as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, so many interesting ones are their deadlines are closing and everything and but there will always be more interesting ones later right there's no rush yeah. is there i've never well tried um, i think a lot of film festivals say it has to finish production within a 18 month period or something so if you finish your film and then don't submit to festivals for two years you kind of outlook i think for the most part mm-hmm. um so i think as long as you're submitting within 18 months or so of finishing your film. I think mm-hmm. I don't think there's any any harm done. Cool. Yeah. Are you sort of releasing the film or have you looked at that side of it? Are you putting it online anywhere or anything? Uh we did a screening at like a bar. How uh, was that? Did you get that nervous? A little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I did. I was really nervous. And um but no, it went great. Like uh, people were laughing at the jokes. Um, I, nobody left, <laughs> and like everyone applauded afterwards. Oh, it was weird. It's yeah. weird to even think that happened, you know? Because like I say, this time last year, I couldn't even look at my face on on video. I was like, oh uh, god, okay. damn it! As soon as I started this, uh, yeah. sorry, go for it. What do you want? Well, I was going to say it's it's the same. Like people don't want to hear their own voice, see their own face. At some point, you just realize this is my face. This is my voice. There's nothing I can do about it. So yeah, well. Yeah. It's, it's like a tool. If you're a writer, you use a pencil. Like if you're a filmmaker, you've got to use your own face. I don't know. Yeah. I just think it's yeah, like exactly, yeah. Um <laughs> and also that nobody's nobody's looking at me the way I'm looking at me either. Um but uh and also something I think maybe we both did is like I preemptively made bald jokes <laughs> to try and point out that I knew that about myself. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. So after some people saw the film, they said, Are you are you okay with being bold? Like, is that an issue for you? Mm-hmm. That, it, it, I'm not bothered in the slightest. The only thing that bothers me is when people around me act as if I should be bothered about being bold. Mm-hmm. So like someone makes a bold joke and then so and then someone just glances at me and I think, why? I'm fine. <laughs> you don't have to check on me. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like 32-year-old man. <laughs> you get such a strong beard game, though, so... Uh, yeah. Um, I've always liked beards. Um I hate. I haven't been clean shaven for about uh, seventeen years. I I can't. Eat. I've got really 
I've got baby skin underneath all this beard, so if I shave it, it, it kind of cuts it all up, sort of thing. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but but uh, yeah, no, like when I started this podcast as well, I was like, God, I've got to listen to my own voice. So I think like again, like maybe there's been a lot of things building up to me being able to make this film so quickly. Is like I got accustomed yeah. to my own voice. You know, I got accustomed to my own writing, face, storytelling, yeah, writing. So it all yeah. kind of. I didn't know I was doing that. I just kind of thought. I'd like to start a podcast because I have there's so many interesting conversations I have with people that like I wish more people could hear. Yeah. Um and and I just felt like I just had this really strong feeling when I was having an interesting conversation. Like I wished like more people should hear this, more people should hear this. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. But well, it's good for posterity felt. anyway. Do you ever listen back yeah. to your own podcasts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just listening to one I had with Danger Slater because they're start because they're released with a photic realm now. The last one I listened to the Danger Slater. Well, I, I I listened a little bit, but I haven't seen Beach Bum, so I kind of um took out never. Ah, okay. I kind of want to watch it at some point. Oh, you absolutely should. It's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like listening back to that and going, oh wow, that was like, oh, like such great insights and so on. Because I I talked to him in like March. They get really delayed coming out with the Aphotic Realm. Yeah. Um, and you're right, it's lovely. I would have forgotten half the things he'd said. Did you... Like, Danger's in, Keith. Did you recognise his voice? <laughs> oh, wait, what is he? No. Yeah, he's uh, the very last tech support call. Um, ah, no way. I've always thought Danger has a really interesting voice. Danger's a great guy. Like, so I kind of only recently, in the last year or so, got involved in Bizarro. And he was like one of the most welcoming open-armed people that I spoke to. Mm. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. He's a really great guy. Yeah, he's lovely. Um, so, so you, um, but you made this film without a script. Did you know what the scenes were going to be? Or well, I had a, I had sort of a basic idea, and it's not a, like an intricate plot. <laughs> like it kind of just it introduces the concept and just sort of follows it to its sort of logical conclusion um but there's um a point in the so my fiance cat in the film is dead and then in real life she's not dead uh 18 months ago she was in hospital for two months and there's a point in the film where it was actually just a, a journal entry <laughs> I, I a lot a big part of the film is the journal entries and that's what i do every day um and for me as i as i was looking for my journey and thinking how could this be more involved in the film and i came across that point in my life and i was like uh this this is what the story is it's it's me sort of because there was a point when i I was convinced that she was going to die and i was like i'm probably still i'm still thinking about that and i still need Mm -hmm. to work through that so then that just became a, a key part of the film. And it made more sense by that point, because then I realized that's why in in desktop horror films, there's always the argument, why don't they just put the put the laptop away or put the, the technology away? But I needed a reason for Luke to not want to put the technology away, because Keith at this point is his only friend or his only um mm-hmm. the only his sort of the only people only person he can communicate with uh, honestly um so yeah once i once i found out that that that's the story um i i kind of knew where it would go 
loosely, but I didn't script it. I would just say, okay, so today I need to do this scene. Here's 10 ideas for what could happen in this scene. I could do a, a joke about dogs shitting. <laughs> I could do this other thing. I'd do the bit from Robocop when he's sort of screwing the thing. Um, and then I would just sort of narrow it down and, and then record a few bits, get them all into Premiere that same day, do a rough edit, and then um, and then just do the same every day. I just I just figured if I just do this every single day, it, it will get somewhere and something will come out of it. Yeah. From from beginning to end? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I think there was a couple of days when I didn't do any filming. And I, because, so there's, so in the film for the audience, Keith is like an AI and he starts off just talking is like in text. And that had to be done frame by frame animation. It's just text edit. It's just like a, a blank text document. Mm-hmm. But, um, to make it work, I had to uh, just cut the video frame by frame just to make it sort of look like a sort of AI is talking. Mm-hmm. And that took a long time. So there's some scenes where I was doing that for hours just like cutting and, and trimming stuff, mm. basically animating. And it's, um, yeah, that was a long process. But most days I, I did do some filming. And by the end of it, I was like, so this, the more emotional scenes at the end of the film, that's not me. I'm not able to be that way. I'm not an actor in any sense of the word. And I don't think this proves the opposite <laughs> or anything. But um, I was kind of caught up in the story by that point. So I was like, okay, so... I am exhausted <laughs> physically and mentally, and so is my character. So I was able to sort of put that into the story in some ways. That's so cool. And um, why did you choose to use your own name? Oh, it's just easier. I think when I was doing it last time, when when I was trying to make the feature film last time, and I wrote the screenplay and everything, I um, I invented people and invented all these characters. And I think I even started pre-production. I started to make all these Facebook accounts and all these various different accounts. And I was like, this is ludicrous because I'm going to have to invent so many people, so many social media accounts just to make this thing look right. And when I did a short film, I just used my own, myself. Mm -hmm. And also, I like when writers do that. I like Kurt Vonnegut appearing in Kurt Vonnegut stories. I like when Stephen King appears in The Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'd just be one of those sort of weird kind of little bizarro nods or something i don't know but it's just it's mainly it's mainly easier and yeah i i think maybe at one point in time i would have been a bit more a bit sh- uh, sh- more shy about that kind of thing but i don't care anymore <laughs> <laughs> i don't care i grieve my i've got my journal entries on on the screen i've got me well, I don't want to spoil anything in case people do watch the film, but yeah, I, I, it's all on the screen there. That is who I am. <laughs> Where does that come from, that confidence to put yourself out there? I think it's the only way I know how to do it now. I think, because um, when I write books and stuff, it always comes out, I, kind of, I find I can only do it if, if there's some real personal wound or something that I'm trying to, because that's what I find interesting. It's like, um, I, I can't just write about made up completely fictional stuff. I'm not a, the best writer in that sense, but if there's mm. a personal element, there's a personal wound that I'm trying to get over or explore or if I'm trying to work out, why does my mind do that? Why does that make me so sad? Or why does, um, I don't know, why am I, why is my relationship with my parents that the way it is or anything? 
So those are the things that always always come out in in the stuff I make, because that's what I find interesting. And that's I I, I don't think I can do it any other way. I think I've tried. And I'm just never that impressed with the end result. So this is just a way that I can be happy with, with the end result. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's um. Yeah, I mean, like the the thing I've said about my own club and everything, um, is I feel like it's some like you I think that whatever I do it has to feel like something only I can do yeah um, and people here are very much there's very kind of competitive uh like middle class comparison game thing going on quite quite heavily in Stavanger and so I just love the idea of like spending loads of my time and money in something that just wasn't going to yield any like <laughs> so, any yeah. kind of material rewards right or or you know any kind of standard uh, achievement or standard measure of success? Yeah, I really like that yeah. about it. Um, it's probably quite freeing about that. Just just making something for the sake of of making it and thinking this will be like a, a, a I don't know piece of art. Like there's no monetary res- financial gain or something. It's just just making something for the sake of making it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At its core, I mean that's what that's why we do it, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think we're all children who just never stops doodling. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure we're all, we're all just sort of making... When did you start writing? You've been writing for 10 years, but I imagine you were making, like, doodling or coming up with ideas or something before that. Yeah, I remember I used to, like, I used to stick post-its all over my school with, like, little random facts I found. And I, never, <laughs> I bet nobody else was doing that, you know? Yeah, that's um, pretty weird. Yeah. What were the facts? What did you... Um, like a snail. Really like riddles. Like a snail like walks <laughs> on its tongue, um, or like a. Is that right? Yeah, they do, don't they? The snail like a snail walks on its tongue because like the snail's tongue is the thing yeah. that it's walking on. I think. That sounds philosophical. It's only the one I remember. What else was on there? Uh, picking your nose and eating it uh is good for your immune system. Interesting. <laughs> So I would just write these down and stick them all over the school. And then I yeah. figured, like, I guess that was, like, a creative impulse. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of um, guerrilla art projects, right? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about, like, um, people who, I know, so many, like, really talented people, um, like, amazing illustrators and amazing comic book makers and filmmakers and stuff. And maybe 1% of them will make something that, like, really... You know, lands with the zeitgeist or, or blows up in somewhere or another. I think that's really tragic. Like, so many amazingly talented people uh, are probably just going to grow bored or disappointed. <laughs> this is really depressing. But um, I don't know. I feel like you just have to come to terms with the fact that maybe your art will never be appreciated. Maybe your post its will never get found. But you just got to still write, you got to still keep making them post its and posting them around. So I like that analogy. Uh, I was I, I think my goal was that I wanted them to bring it up at the morning assembly and tell me to stop. That's what I wanted oh, them to do. You didn't want them to go, someone, someone, some very clever guy <laughs> posting <laughs> post-its. No, no, I wanted it to be annoying, I think. Um <laughs> I also I also like would slip in fake uh fake essays in with my real essays like in, in English class, because I remember I did one on like Heart of Darkness. And I said, like, my how favorite. Old are you? How old are you when you did that? I was, like, 15. 
I said like um I was like I really love playing Heart of Darkness top trumps, but my friend has the Colonel Kurtz card and like nothing can beat a darkness rating of 50. It's really annoying. It was just like <laughs> a bunch of random crap that I made up. Wow. Um, I like to play a Heart of Darkness card game. That'd be great. <laughs> It'd be more exciting than reading the book. Jesus, it's so boring. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite short as well, isn't it? I think it's like an 80-pager or something. You wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very dense well, pages. What, what were you doing growing up then? Did you have similar... Yeah, um, I was. Uh, <laughs> I think I was trying to. I always thought I'd be in comics. I think I was making like drawing. I'm a terrible artist, but I was making my own X Men ripoff comics called Fox Men, and there was a guy called Professor Fox. <laughs> Sounds great. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was always making stuff, and then um, at some point we got cameras, started making like our own jackass videos. I'm sure everyone did that at some point. Um, I, I think is oh, oh yeah no what it was what I think I really started to get into making stuff was when I got a guitar when I was like 14 started like playing in bands and doing all that stuff for a long time um, and then from there uh, when our band broke up I got into student radio and then from there I started making comedy sketches like audio sketches um, and that became a podcast and then from there, I was like, I better start writing screenplays because I want to start doing YouTube videos, which which became short films, which became uh, short stories. And then it just kind of, that's, I don't know, I guess that's the, the path of someone who's wasted a lot of time. <laughs> so many hours. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love it though. I, I don't, if I'm, unless I'm really making something, like working on a film, like the films, it gets me up in the morning and it keeps me working till like late in the evening because it's just so exciting. Especially when you're not too sure if you can quite pull it off. Like that's an exciting point. Not too sure if this novel is going to work, but that's the exciting. If you know it, if like if you've done it before or you know it's definitely going to work, I don't think it's quite excites me as much. I was learning about like game dev this year, doing like game development stuff, and that's always seemed like a dark art to me. But now I've sort of made a few games and there are times when I just spent about I don't know, 20 hours in, in single sessions just trying to work out how to program these weird little games that no one's going to play. But that's not really what interests me. It's more about figuring out the magic or how it, figuring out how it works and, and putting a bit of a stamp on it. Mm. I, I totally agree. I think that if you know you can do it, there's no... Why would you do it? Definitely, like when when it came to this film, we brainstormed some ideas over some weeks, I think, until we said like it will be a conspiracy live stream, and everyone has a different end of the world theory, and I think some of them chose theirs. Uh, I think that's all they had, and then I decided like one of them will be true, and like because I think that will give the whole thing structure. It, it would be like not very fun to hear a whole bunch of just lies for no reason, and it turns out none yeah. of them are true. Um, yeah. So one of them has to be true, and it has to involve like... So Fernando, at the beginning, didn't want to have a big part. Neither did Akanksha, who was the Indian doctor lady. So I had those kind of constraints to begin with, and then I was like, right, guys, give me some time to do it, and then, and then I'll get back to you when I've got a script. And then as soon as I hung up, I was like, I don't think I can do that. Yeah, yeah. At <laughs> some point... Know. At some point in the project, there's like a turning point where you start to feel like, oh, hang on, I'm getting away with this. 
and making yeah. something's happening here. That's quite an exciting point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you ever feel awesome. like, uh, did you ever sort of have any moments of crisis when you were like, this isn't going to work? I need to. There were a few times when I was. Yeah. I think like I recorded all of the footage with everyone over a number of weeks, and that was pretty simple because we all had the script. They all knew what to say. I knew what I wanted. Um, but then when I was done with everyone, I was like, right, I've just got to piece it together, guys. And I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like when I do that. I don't know if it will look convincing that they're talking to one another. I don't know how to get them all on screen. But, you know, <laughs> would, you start a, would you start a project like that if you had all the answers? It, it would be too overwhelming. You're like, I'm not going to begin until I know all these things. Yeah. Now. I don't yeah. work that way. Yeah, that's a good point. If you knew how much work was going to go into it, you'd probably be put off that mm. stuff like when i when i sort of write books and stuff like i always feel like i'm going to just do like a short like a short easy to write <laughs> simple novella doing a couple of weeks or like three weeks or so went too much editing but then they take months <laughs> every single time mm. like it's just this twenty thousand word book um and i don't know it's it's taken i don't know six months it didn't take long to do the first draft but then when the editing comes in the new ideas and rewrites and stuff. Um, it, everything takes a lot longer than, than you think it will. But mm. yeah, it's quite nice. I feel quite I feel quite sad when things are completely done. Maybe so I don't want to don't want to give them up. Just so sort I of want to live in that in that world for a bit. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think we all go back and forth, right? I, sometimes I'm just like, God, I can't wait until this thing is finished. And then when it's done, you're like, oh, I miss work. Like, I miss working on that. It gave me purpose. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 After being done, I tend to get a little bit depressed. Um, just to get really down, sort of bum around the house. I think it's because I don't feel like I'm being productive. Or I don't think I'm, don't feel like I'm living the life that I should be living. There's no excuse. I've got all of the equipment I need to make stuff. Um, so if I'm not making stuff, I feel like I'm kind of wasting time. Mm. Um, so when I do find that project that I can really sink my teeth into uh, and I spend hours and hours on it, that's when I feel like I'm living my purpose. That's like a, such a dumb thing to say. But I used to say my dad's purpose is is working on his um, bicycles. He's got like 10 bikes. He just spends hours and hours in the garage working on his bikes. I spend hours and hours in the garage working on my films. Yeah. Like it's the same sort of part of us that sort of draws us to these projects. That's, I don't know. I wish, I kind of wish that I just could be sated, just chilling out, watching TV programs. But I, I just get frustrated. Just feel like I'm wasting, wasting mm. my life. But I mean, you, it's like an incentive to learn a lot of stuff that you're interested mm. in as well, right? Like not, not just yeah. about filmmaking, but like other topics. Like you must have had to read a bit about AI and and so on. Um, we use social media or. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I made a conscious, conscious decision. I think it might have been the start of this year, maybe the year before. Actually, I think it was when I started doing this job I do now, which is a lot more technically in depth than I've um, ever done before. It's it's a it's a type of IT support, but it's for broadcast film and TV uh, companies, a lot of post production houses and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and it was so in depth, and I was like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do all this. So I made a conscious effort to really like study every single day, just like. 20 minutes of study um and at some point it starts to 
starts to sink in and you start to figure it out. Um, and I think I've, I'm really enjoying that learning process now. I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. like consciously, not just sitting in a classroom and, and like, like I did at university thinking about other things, but sitting down and being genuinely curious about like the learning process or, or learning new stuff in terms mm-hmm. of AI and stuff. I don't know if that was uh, too much the point of Keith. I think Keith was more of a, a metaphorical allegory or something about um, loss or grief or something than it was about AI. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's a bit of that in there. Mm-hmm. But what, what's next for you? Do you know when is the, the uh, number two film number two going to come out? Sam, who played Bob One, he has uh, his mom has an art studio. And so I'm going to write a horror script that's like for both of us um, that takes place in this art studio and like I've kidnapped him and I'm an artist and I want to paint him. Um, <laughs> so that's like the, that's the premise. Uh, and I've got like, like you say, I've just been doing notes, 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 reading, 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 because I'm avoiding the idea that like, oh my God, I have to write a whole feature film with just two people in it. That's what I want to do. Uh, that sounds another... hard. Yeah. It's like your, your other film. I mentioned to you that it's like a play, that yeah. that single room sort of situation. I find that so difficult because um, you can't just introduce. Well, you, you you did find a way to do it, but I just mean you can't introduce ludicrous <laughs> like um, elements that sort of change the format of story. But you you do have that. Um, maybe I'm just thinking too limited. I think about what that kind of film is. I guess I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's my next project to try and do a single room film. I don't know if I can do it. I love the constraint. Like I love just watching those films and everything. Um, I just think it's great. Every time I'm like, oh, single room film, I need to watch that. And I think you're right. I think it's mostly plays, right? Because you've got this one room. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching a lot of like films that were plays first. That's mostly the uh, origin okay. of single room yeah. films. Um, so yeah, because like the the one I was thinking of mostly is the Sunset Limited. Don't know if you know it. I think so. Tommy Lee Jones directed it, and he's in it with Samuel L. Jackson. It's just the two of them, and it's a Cormac McCarthy play that they turned uh, okay. into film. Yeah. And so they're just sitting at a table talking for like an hour and a half. Um, but like, I'm not Cormac McCarthy, and I can't take on like life and death and like religion and <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just going to do my own version of it. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy that. But I love like the more, the less you can involve money, the more creative you have to be, and that's the rewarding thing for me. And also, like if I'm not accepting anyone's money, nobody can tell me what to do. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I was sending Keith around this new version uh, to a few of the places who had had meetings with when I made the short. Uh, there's a oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Bazalevs who made Unfriended and Searching. And I was like, nice. look at this thing that I've made. Um, and part of me is like a bit like, okay, so what if they come back now and say, you want you to do a new film or something for, I don't know, I had no idea about budgets, 100,000 pounds or dollars or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would. I think I'd maybe more curious about doing like a, a much smaller 10,000 pound thing or something even smaller than that. Cause I, I enjoyed the fact that I wasn't trying to please I think if I'm trying to please people, I lose some of that that voice. But mm. like in, in a no budget film, that impulse isn't there. Like you can just do whatever the hell you want, and it doesn't matter. 
And you're not costing someone else hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, there's no pressure. I think like if either of us ever turned this into career, um, if that is the goal or not, I don't know. But if we did, I think we'd suddenly realize many like how good we had it in many ways now. Yeah. That would suddenly become apparent as soon as we didn't have them anymore. I well, I can't talk for you, but I think that's what happens to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I always bring Robert Rodriguez up. But he he talks about how once he um, started to do bigger things, he realized that he he needed to work. He ne- never wanted to have enough money, enough time, or enough resources. He always wanted to not have enough, and that was that always seemed to help him um, get into that creative, rebellious mindset. I guess that he has to try and make something out of nothing. Mm. Um, so it's quite it's quite a cool place to be. Um, yeah, I think I don't know because with filmmaking, you often feel like you don't have you don't have what you need to make the thing that you want to make. But there's something quite empowering about just hmm. just doing it anyway, just doing it on your own. Well, the thing is, like, um, I follow well, like the Duplass brothers. Oh them. yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a fav- like a famous talk, don't they? Like the cavalry isn't coming or something like that. That's right. The South by Southwest yeah, talk yeah. it does, I think. Um, but yeah, one of the things he says is like when they started, they were just filming their friends and they couldn't wait to like stop doing that. And then they said, just don't expect that to end. Um, yeah. I think what's always had the, the charm about those kind of films is the depth of the chemistry that the people have because they all know each other in real life. Um, which is why I think like the, the number one actor I want to work with in the world is like my friend Sam, cause we're really good friends and I know him well enough to write character for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the joy of it for me is these these connections. Um, have you had um, <clears throat> so? Have you had people come to you to say, "I'm going to make my own film now"? Like just the fact that you've made a film has kind of given them permission to to try themselves. Have you had that kind of thing? Oh God, I hope so. Um, I at the at the premiere, the, 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 the one thing I said, the only thing I said when I stood up at the beginning was like, um, "If you watch this and think I could do that." I agree. <laughs> Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I just sat down. So it's like, yeah, great. I would love if I empowered people to do that. I don't know if that's happened yet. I think they all still feel like they need me. And that's nice. Um, yeah. Later they'll branch off, do their own thing. Yeah. So you what feel you like think? you're a... Well, I, I only say that is because my friend Ben, who I do podcasts and stuff with, um, like a couple of days after he saw uh, I finished Keith, he was like, yeah, I'm going to make a, a desktop horror film. <laughs> it's not, I was like, okay, well, yeah, fine. That's cool. Do it, man. Um, just know that it's a lot of work. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, be, do, do you like that? What's that? Inspiring, the, the, like, yeah. Not inspiring, but giving people permission, I guess. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, I always, because I've been podcasting for a long time, um, and I always, liked, I, I always thought everyone should start a podcast. Podcasts are... You know the the cheapest, one of the cheapest mediums you can get into. You can find a, a decent audience um, with podcasts still, um, and I feel like everyone should do it. Like you're put you you're putting down whether it's like a fiction podcast or an interview podcast like this one or a, a conversation one. Like you're you're putting down um, like a point of your opinion or your point in life where you can come back to that and you can check it out. And you can also build a bit of an audience. It doesn't cost you much of anything other than time. It introduces you to new contacts all the time that you, you're networking 
across the world. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like podcasts are, are just the most amazing um, medium. That I, I feel like if people haven't got a podcast, and I know nowadays that everyone's got a podcast, they don't start a podcast. That's what everyone says. But I still think it doesn't matter. That's not the point. Like mm. it's not you're not making a podcast just to sell advertisements or whatever or or make a, the number one on a iTunes chart or whatever. Like that's not the point of podcast. The point mm. of podcast is that um it's it's a personal growth thing. Like yeah. I, I think that's the biggest point about it, uh, or the biggest benefit. Everyone should start a podcast, everyone should make a film, everyone should write stories, everyone should journal, everyone should feel like they can make games or I don't know I, I I really don't want anyone to feel like how I felt a few years ago that I'm too dumb too like not creative enough all these kind of things I don't want anyone to feel like that anyone everyone should be able to make everything and anything and feel mm. good about what they're doing and inspired and it's um yeah so if I'm doing anything I, I'd be more than happy if someone sees that and goes that's shit I can do better than that cool <laughs> <laughs> Cool man, yeah, go do it. That's got that's awesome. Oh, but I don't know if they're watching it and saying like that's that's shit. I think they're just saying like, no. I think that's that's homemade or that that's that's DIY. So I can also be DIY. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'll make sure you're kinder. <laughs> but like, um, I remember, um, yeah, like last year I was following a bunch of YouTubers who have also made feature films, and I was like, oh my god, how cool would it be to be a person who's made a feature film? Um, yeah. And now that I made one, I feel exactly the same as I did before, and I was like, well. I guess yeah. nothing does it then. I'll just keep doing it for yeah. the sake of the process. <laughs> the, yeah, the process is the, is the best part, really. But yeah. um, I, I, one thing I do need to be more, I need to be more grateful about, you know, milestones or achievements or something because I do have a habit of just blowing through to the next project um, yeah. and sort of not really thinking much about the stuff I've done in the past. I do think it's worth having some sort of, uh, for a podcast, if you get to 10 episodes, have a beer, or like something and just take a moment and like reflect and think that's awesome that those episodes didn't exist before and now they do well done like it's really important to to take those moments i think that's really good advice um is there uh is there anything else that we need to know about you you do a ton of stuff you, like you say you've got a podcast you're writing do you have new releases out um i have a book coming out um it was supposed to be august but i, I think things have kind of COVID has probably pushed it back a bit. Mm. Um, it's coming out from a Razorhead Press. Um, it's called His Dirty Little Portal. It's about a world where happiness doesn't exist. <laughs> Similar sort of themes, I guess, to Keith. Um, so I don't know when that's that's coming out. I hope it's this year, but who knows? Um, I think the best thing to do is, is oh, we also do a big podcast that we do is a group project. It's called The Other Stories, and it's a weekly short horror sci-fi thriller story uh it's about 20 minutes long each episode we've done it for about four four and a half years now that's been the in terms of audience and and big things i've done that's been the most successful that we we hit six million downloads like um not too long ago um and that's not me i mean that i'm just a very very small part of that thing but that's that's if you want to check out my stuff, I guess go to lukecondor.com. But go listen to the podcast, maybe buy a book. Um, but yeah, I'd rather just people just follow me on Twitter and just have a conversation about cool stuff, make stupid jokes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, so lovely talking to you. 
so that was Luke. Um, make sure to check out his film when it's available. Uh, I guess follow his uh, website, or follow him on Twitter, send him some funny links and so on. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. And uh, if I sent you there, tell him so, because that's always nice. Uh, if you are a creative of some sort who wants to be on the show, or if you just want to tell me something about it, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all from me for this episode. So until next time, bye bye.